internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. I'm a uh, I'm an equipment geek, so like I have this is my setup here, but I do a lot of remote stuff also, and I have a whole I've gone through several variations of equipment during that, and, and <laughs> what I've landed on now is I have a a mix pre three. It's mm-hmm. a little bitty box that has XLR inputs into it. This is super exciting for you listeners. I'm talking to Jordan Jordan Bonaparte, <laughs> and uh, he's the host of the Nighttime Podcast, and this is how the sausage is made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're live. Okay, we're going. Yeah, we're going. Oh, yeah. This is everything. Gets it. They get it all. They they want to get to know you guys. Uh, <laughs> Deep breath. Yeah. Bob Ruff is here. <laughs> First, Bob, let's start with this, Bob. I'm so excited to meet you. You're like a godfather, grandfather of podcasting. You've been around. Well, like, I, I when I started, like you were grandfather. doing your thing. I'm sure. I think we were about the same time because I because I was listening to you way way back. Like, would you start around 2015, 2016? Right in there. Yeah, I, I yeah. consider us like. I started just before Serial, which is, you know, for yeah. people in the podcast world, especially in the crime podcast world, there's two different podcast <laughs> times. There was before and after pre-serial Serial. And I, and I started just pre-Serial. Yeah. Yeah. You but you predate me. I'm a I'm one of the post-serial guys. You but are. there's there's three waves of podcasters. There's the pre-serial, the post-serial, and then there's the post-pandemic, because everybody <laughs> started a podcast during the pandemic. Yes. Yeah, we, we say here, in, I'm in Canada, and our government offered this, like for people who lost their jobs or unable to get jobs, they offered this kind of benefit for people that they give you a little bit of money, almost like a different version of unemployment insurance or something. Mm-hmm. But they say that that government benefit was like the number one sponsor of podcasts in Canada <laughs> the last <Yeah>. two years. <laughs> Same thing happened so here. True. They gave us so much money. And now milk costs $9 a gallon. Oh yes. Uh, so it worked out real well. <laughs> yeah, they're getting their money back somehow. I realize like big yeah. food is involved with government somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, but yeah, so so you, with you being from Nova Scotia, from from Canada, you'll pre- so like my my um, on the my in the field mic setup is that Mix Pre Three and a Sennheiser shot, shotgun mic, and uh, that I so I just have a, a little lapel mic on me and a shotgun, so I can just carries on a bag. I just pointed at people, wow. but one hundred percent, I saw a picture of David Ridgen doing one of his podcasts and mm-hmm. zoomed in. And was like, okay, I want that bag, that <laughs> oh, yeah. microphone, I want that. Yeah, and I bought a, a flannel shirt. I'm like, I'm going to look just like Dave <laughs> when I go out in the field. Yeah, well, he's amazing. Hey, And his show, anything he does sounds so good. That's yeah. produced by CBC, which is like our mm-hmm. government-financed or funded uh, media organization. But everything they do, it, I think some people call it that NPR sound, where things just sound yes. great. Yeah. And when you oh, listen Dave. to... Dave Ridgen, you hear, you know, the footsteps, you hear him knocking on the door and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just theater of the mind. And that brings the story to life. He's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love it. So, so it, like when I had him on True Crime Binge uh, a year or two ago, you know, it was like that was like meeting my hero. And because I love that and I've always tried to keep but I don't have the, you know, the CBC budget sending me out for a year to, re, <laughs> you know, to research something before I, I'm usually pretty I'm on the seat of my pants. On, uh, <laughs> I start on Monday for Friday's episode. Yeah, I got uh, that. <laughs> 
But yeah, I love that. And it was because of that sound, I was like, okay, I need some good field recording equipment. So I literally was zooming in on Google images of, of Ridgen <laughs> to uh, see what he was using when he was doing it in the field. Yeah, I find what I do now is like, I, I've tried to go high end with the production and the quality, but I, I've instead settled on, I just want it to sound good enough to not distract the listener from my topic or guest. So I've yeah. set a pretty low bar. I'm certainly no Dave Ridgen. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is like, it, and honestly, I'm, I've been going that way more too, which, you know, some of my lovely listeners on the, on the uh, iTunes review say I'm mailing it in now, oh, but it's, it's about like trying to get out more content and more raw, especially for me that, you know, we're doing active investigation stuff. Mm-hmm. I get more raw stuff out. So it's just like, like people like you know like when you're when you're putting this stuff out like you're moving all the time and, and if you're not spending an extra eight hours on post-production stuff then you can get more content out yeah i i think what has kind of you talked about the different versions of the podcast eras that have passed mm-hmm. and that we're in the middle of i think what happens with a lot uh, a lot of listeners is they hear like let's just say serial or a show that's produced where it's we're going to make six episodes we're going to spend months making them then we're going to mm-hmm. dump them on, you know, wherever, and they will just sit for an eternity. So they're they're kind of produced yeah. with that in mind, where what we do, what you and I do, where you're covering kind of an ongoing story and an active investigation, people don't want, I, I, I hope, people don't want this flawless product that will stand um, eternal. They want updates and mm-hmm. engagement, and it's kind of a different yeah. quality thing, and a different kind of thing. And that's why I think you just want your quality to be good enough to not distract from you know, the, 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 you know, what you're saying and, you know, the content yeah. you're delivering. Did it take you a while to get there? Cause it, it really did take me years to get there in my mind. Cause for years I was like, I need to do what I do, which is a very different thing than what like Sarah Koenig was doing or mm-hmm. Dave Ridgen is doing, but I want it to sound like what they're doing. And mm-hmm. it was just like this constant battle, you know, mm-hmm. where I was trying to, to make that happen. And I finally was like, I just, I'm not going to be them. We're going to be. You know, nobody gives thing. a shit what I said last week because I'm saying new shit this week. <laughs> yeah, um, I've went through it so many. Like I've thought it out, tried different things, and I've I've kind of settled on. I found like a, kind of a comfort spot. But when I first started my show back in you know whatever 2015, I used to do an episode every two weeks. Then I'm mm-hmm. like, I want to do more. Like it sucks to you know I spend so much time editing and adding music and sound mm-hmm. effects and you know and and as soon as I release an episode, I'm not there to be engaged with the listeners because I'm working on my next thing. Anyway, I, I kind of clawed back the production a bit and I did one a week. And then mm-hmm. I was like, ah, that's a bit too much. I went to <laughs> one every ten days and then one a week again. And now I'm at the point where I'm pretty much doing at least three episodes a week. Jeez. And yeah, awesome. the we the the way I'm able to do it is for one, I have a lot of like sort of like templates and stuff to like uh, manage my workflow when I'm putting the podcasts together. But ultimately, just like you just described there, is I'm more focused on getting the message out, communicating with people rather than polishing the message and making it like something that should have, a you know, credits at the end of my episode. My credits would be yeah. like production, Jordan, uh, workspace, Jordan's laptop in his basement. <laughs> you know, there's... <laughs> Sorry, your emails weren't responded to. Jordan was making this. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan was busy making a podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. But yeah, someday yeah. Uh, someone will throw money at me, and I'll you know I'll have a slew of credits at the end, and my <laughs> listeners will hear bells and whistles as I talk. Yeah, but the, you know the thing is, like you know, I went through. I remember so uh, Mike Bussing, who was my producer, co-host, best friend, assistant for six years, who recently. Uh, uh, left. I was. He was. He was at my house this weekend. We were hanging out, and we were like joking about 
when we were on our season seven and we were in uh, Bloomington, Illinois, doing the our season seven case, and we were trying to like capture. I was like rolling tape all the time because Dave Ridgen told me to roll tape all the time, <laughs> and so it was yeah. like we were gonna like catch these little. The little there's a shrimp sale at the at the shrimp shack or whatever the you know the Sarah Koenig and her producer thing, <laughs> yeah. and we were we were driving down this road and there's all these giant windmills everywhere and we had this like really like ridiculous kind of conversation about the windmills and I'm like oh well that'll be cool to drop in and then I realized a few minutes later that the batteries had died in the uh, in the recording oh. or the recorder. <laughs> So we tried to recreate it, and it was, and I think we ended up using it. <laughs> we're like driving through, and he's like, "Hey, Bob, what are all these windmills for? <laughs> like, I think they're for electricity. <laughs> well, what the hell do they have going on around here for all this electricity, Bob? <laughs> uh, you, you could have added like fake sounds of cars to kind <laughs> yeah. of imitate you being oh. in a car. <laughs> oh God, it was so it was it was so cringy. <laughs> it was like one of those things. Like I had wrote in my notes, like yeah, we're gonna drop this into the episode. I'm like, God, we can't. You well, we're gonna have to use it now. So here it is. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of like you know all recording everything and capturing those moments. But again, it's what my wife always says when I'm doing something weird and fringe with my podcast. She'll always say like, "Is the juice worth the squeeze?" And I kind of, that, that sticks <laughs> yeah. in my head. And, and for anyone who doesn't get it, it's like, you know, is it, if, if you're trying to make orange juice out of an orange um, and, you know, you've squeezed all the juice out and there's maybe a little bit left, is it worth it to spend all this extra time for an extra two drops? And, uh-huh. and I was like, yeah, you're, she's usually wrong about things. But with that, I'm like, no, <laughs> the juice isn't worth the squeeze. <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of guts for saying that publicly. <laughs> yeah. no. My wife's never she been does, wrong she... about anything ever. <laughs> she probably listens, yeah. Uh, my wife uh, though is pumped to hear that I'm meeting you because she loves you. Aww. Oh, good! Been... I love her too. Uh, <laughs> I, I think one of your early seasons there was a I can't recall what it was, but there was one case you covered that was like you know people say my pet case. Yeah, what, yeah. One of the cases you covered early on was one that she closely follows, and she just uh, you know Bob Ruff can do no wrong. That's right, book. and she's exactly right, and she should tell my wife that. And all <laughs> of your email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So where yeah. where in the world are you, Bob? I know you're American. Uh, I'm in Michigan, not okay. far from from the Canadian border. Okay, um, but no, where is? I'm super good at geography. Where's Nova Scotia? Okay. <laughs> We're gonna head far this, away from Michigan. Any geography fans are gonna can turn off this episode now because I am awful at geography as well. But <laughs> if we try to if we try to with our words describe the map, uh, what the way it will it will be awful listening. But Nova Scotia. Is on the east coast of Canada. We're closest to um, like Maine, Massachusetts, right. okay. New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. So all that is Michigan. You know, <laughs> yeah, that Michigan's in that ballpark, it's right? Close. Like you're not yeah. far from yeah, Maine. Yeah. It's it's pretty close. Sort of. We're a little further. A little to the west. A little more Midwest, quote unquote. Okay. Yeah, I was also pretty sure Nova Scotia was on the west coast, over by Northern California or uh, uh, Washington State. So. No. Um, we're, we're far it's, it's good you broke that down. I definitely knew it was <laughs> on the east at least. Yeah. But I, yeah, that's 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 about it. <laughs> I did a live show uh, with Tim and Lance from Crawl Space. Uh, we did it in Massachusetts. And we dro- I drove there. It was only a couple hours drive. You go from Nova Scotia to the province next door, which is New Brunswick. Through New Brunswick, you pass into Maine. Yeah. So we're... we're yeah. And, and a little further like, east than us. And to give an idea of yeah. what it's like here in Nova Scotia, when I'm in like Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, it looks aside from the you know the road sign showing miles rather than kilometers, it looks exactly the same. And I learned all about that when I watched Super Troopers Part Two, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I mean, it's a classic film if nobody's yep. ever seen it before. <laughs> We've uh, all yeah, seen but, it. Yeah. Celebrate it. <laughs> it was a great premise how the uh, they were moving the border one mile and they were stashing illegal drugs uh, where they would event, they would quickly, as soon as the border moved, be in Canada instead of the United States. Uh, Good idea. Quality, quality film. Some of the best cinematography you'll ever see in Super <laughs> Troopers Part Two. Um, you know, you got me, you got me, my like my wheels turned. We were talking about before we turned the recorders on um, that you you live stream uh, your episodes on you. Now, do you do that with all of your episodes? Pretty much. It's more dependent on my guest. If I'm if my guest is comfortable with it, I do it. I what mm-hmm. I've started doing in. And I think one of the main things that I like about it is being able to engage with audience in real time, but it also keeps me on schedule. Um, but what uh-huh. I started doing is if I'm, let's say if I was going to be talking to you about something tonight, I'd probably ask you when we we're arranging the meeting, is it all right if I live stream it? And if you were cool with it, that's what we would do. And I'd live stream it on my YouTube channel. So people in the chat can ask questions or, you know, uh, complain in real time about the way we mispronounce things. <laughs> Uh, and you know and and that's i started to enjoy that i was like i'm digging this so what i did from there is i got a dedicated phone line uh Uh for my studio kind of space so if i'm live streaming and the topic is right for it i can have the my phone number appear on the screen and listeners can call in in real time and you know Uh ask questions and talk and yeah so i i kind of started doing that and it, it makes the recordings of the episodes a lot more exciting and it feels a bit like a performance yeah um but what ends up happening, and I'm sure you get this as well, is a lot of times people watching know the story and the case better than I do. So they're asking questions or bringing up points that move the discussion into areas that normally wouldn't. So it's it's invaluable for for that reason. Yeah, I think, as, as I mentioned, we started doing that on Truth and Justice for our follow-up episodes. Mm-hmm. And one thing also, also it makes things kind of easier in post-production because it's like, it's it's live and raw and you can't really edit around things when there's, you know conversations happening in real time with people in the in the chat so it's just kind of a clean the audio up and ship it yeah um but uh erica i mean really true crime binge is ripe for live streaming i mean we're on zoom every day doing interviews that is true that is true yeah certainly but it's in what you do where with like truth and justice you're so much uh pushing an investigation and kind of like i you're kind of like the catalyst of this online community that's investigating if you're live streaming it it allows them to be there in real time, hear what's going on, warts and all. Yeah. So there's a, there's definitely a benefit to it in that. It would, it would be it would be tough for the main episodes of Truth and Justice because those are a lot. In most cases, they're you know I write a script and their mm. script, so it, it would be and it's just me. You know, I drop yeah. in audio interviews and pieces in those. Yeah. So it'd be a lot of me going. And then he went up. Oop, I have a dog clicker. This is my clicker for my editor. Yeah, uh, so she knows when I when I fuck up, which is like I go through and I'm like, yeah. It's if you have somebody else editing for you, or even if you edit for yourself, it's the best thing ever. Because whenever I do a retake, I yeah. Oh, so smart. when she gets the audio file, she looks for all those spikes and then just deletes the sentence before the spike before she goes in to edit. Uh, hmm. And it gets rid of all the all the BS. That's a good hear. way to do it. I find I usually will pause and then start the sentence over so I can look mm-hmm. at the waveform and be like, okay, mm-hmm. why am I quiet for three quarters of a second here? <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a Mike idea. He had I don't know where he came up with it, but you know he used to edit for me everything for me, and he's like, there's nothing worse because he was like a perfectionist. Like when mm-hmm. I like if 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 Kelly who does our editing now is like on vacation or something, or if I'm editing an episode by myself, I'm like. 
good enough, get it out. Mike was like a perfectionist and would get down and like, I heard a mouth click in the middle of that word. And I'm going to get that son of a bitch out. And he would, so he'd like spend 20 minutes working on cleaning up a sentence. And then, then one second later, I retook the sentence and he's like, God damn it. Oh, I, already just, oh, no. I just cleaned it up. Yeah. And then the, the thing about that though, what Mike had to realize is like, he's listening in studio headphones with a concept of audio yeah. production. I guarantee you, you know, 80% yeah. of your listeners, they got like the earbuds in and they're out jogging, yeah. cars yeah. and trucks going by. Or they're, like, yeah, or they're yeah. driving their car and listening yeah, on the bus, on the and subway, and they're like, whoa, he's breathing loud. I can't Yeah, I used to drive bullshit. him nuts if he was on vacation and I was editing for myself because I, I would do it so fast. He's like, I was like, I edit with the computer. I don't edit with headphones. Mm-hmm. Like, if it sounds good enough on the computer, then it's good enough for me. And we're yeah. going to send it on its way. Well, that's, that's Also, kinda... I don't know how to fix those things that he's fixing. <laughs> There's a bit of a technique to that. I, I, before podcasting, I did music. And one thing you would often do when you recorded something is you didn't want to listen to it in the studio. You would bring like the demo into the car because that's where uh-huh. 90% of the people listen or put it in headphones sure. that are yeah, yeah. typical to, to hear the levels and stuff rather than in a perfect environment where right. no one other than you is going to listen to it yeah that makes it makes a lot of sense and uh mm-hmm. uh and it goes right along with the just get the content out thing uh but erica we should we're going to move on from this but erica we should we should think about how do we the only tricky part it's about not. live streaming this is there are always at different times and do you just like put out a like a uh a social media post or something saying we're going to be on live at this time yeah that's how i was doing it but then i started um picking a certain day of the week and for me it's sunday pretty much mm-hmm. every sunday night from like 7 p.m till about 10 p.m i'm live recording something so uh-huh. my listeners are now expect me there and it, it went from you know 30 people would watch now i'll have you know 400 500 people are in there mm-hmm. because they know i'm there going to be mm-hmm. there right and with true crime binge it would be it would be perfect because this is loose discussion my audience could yeah. be calling in and, you know your audience could be calling yeah, in exactly it could be, yeah. It'd be really cool because, yeah, because it'd be almost like an AMA every episode because, the, you know, anybody who wanted to could come on and ask the, their favorite podcasts or the question they've always wanted to ask them and maybe they'll answer it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, the different times things, is, it makes it trickier to schedule the interviews yeah. for but sure. You can, we but we're usually in, like, the same day. We usually do them on Tuesdays. Yeah, we could – we. I mean, yeah, we, I think we could definitely make it work. And you can also, like, in YouTube, uh, you can schedule upcoming recordings. So once we, like, say today, once you and I oh, decide right. it when we're going to mm-hmm. do this, you could have the video there. So your people who subscribe to your YouTube channel will get a notification and be like, oh, Bob's going to be talking to, you know, so-and-so. so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Be, and do you do the same thing we do with so, – because, like, for this, so, like, your episode, we're recording this on the – what's today? The 8th? They may not yeah. publish for another three weeks from now. Do you do you like make them private after the live stream's over? Yeah, and there's there's a few reasons for that. Is one is one of the reasons after for people who are listening that don't get YouTube, uh, when I'm live streaming, anyone who subscribes can watch and chat and whatever. But once the episode recording is done, I make it private so it's not available on YouTube. And the reason I do that is for one, I want to save it for me editing it and putting out the podcast, yeah. but also. Right. Google resu- uh, Google search results favor YouTube videos. So if you have, you know, whatever, me on here today and someone searches, you know, nighttime podcast, Jordan Bonaparte, this video of our mm-hmm. raw, unedited conversation with the audio unleveled would appear before the episode that you put out on the podcast. So by removing it from YouTube, 
it makes it so that right. it's your podcast that gets the bump in the Google search results. Huh. Is, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. I always just figured I want it, I just want everybody to still listen to the audio because that's where my ads are. Yeah, well, there's there's that, but <laughs> but it's like if um, it's not not true. It's, yeah, it's not not true. But it's <laughs> do you want people like if, if you leave it on YouTube, you're giving it to YouTube to monetize, but also you're right. putting like your worst foot forward because yeah. they're right. you know they're going to hear the crappy version of it. Yeah. Also, it's pretty rare. Like today, I'm actually wearing human clothes, but that's. <laughs> uh, Erica can attest to this. This is pretty rare. Usually, I'm still. Yeah, he usually my does these shirtless, clothes. completely shirtless. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'm always bottomless for <laughs> you, sure. You can, yeah. uh, you can hear it in the interviews. Some of the episodes, you can tell they're quite uncomfortable, and yeah, I get why. <laughs> yeah, I try to keep the the microphone just above the nipple line. Leave them guessing. You know, leave a little <laughs> yeah. something to the imagination. Yeah. <laughs> so um so do you, so you work in the insurance industry do you do you podcast full-time or do you still do insurance um, stuff that was back in the day i'm I'm pretty much I, i'd say my main job now is stay-at-home dad i have two kids uh just turned 10 year old and a four-year-old so i've been slowly leaving my day job to be home more with the kids and uh-huh. i've always tried to do it so that if I can grow the podcast to make up what I'm losing from not sure. being at my job, you know, it's worth it. And now it's to the point where I'm, I consider myself full-time stay-at-home dad who gets enough from his podcast to justify being a stay-at-home dad. So that's nice. That's, how that's awesome. Was. But my background do... was like insurance call centers, like everyone in East Coast of Canada. That's where we work. <laughs> is, is that a thing? That's an East oh, Coast of Canada yeah. thing? Where I'm from, it's like we coal mines used and steel plants used to be the industry. All that stuff died in you know the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the island that I'm from in Nova Scotia, it's called Cape Breton. It had the highest unemployment rate in Canada at a time, and also the highest teen pregnancy rate. They went together, but um, mm. well, and that was because our industry was mining and again the steel industry. When that all went away, call centers would come for very cheap labor and. That has become like one of our main industries. Most people that I know, if they're not a professional in some trade or whatever, it's call centers would be very typical for 20 to 35-ish year olds for a job. But I'm fortunate that uh, the podcast has made it possible that I can be home with my kids most of the day. Did you ever meet Jake from State Farm? He seemed like, like an East Coast Canada guy. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's I think that's an American reference. I think State Farm is like more of an American thing. Yeah, definitely. Oh, there's no State Farm Canada branch? <laughs> I don't know. You know, if, if there is, I hope that I never have to go see them. <laughs> I avoid the real world big time. I live in my basement. If it, Unless they're giving out like old UFO books or uh, interviewing people about their UFO sightings, I'm not going to go down there. Yeah, right. Well, listen, to me, your basement is your real world because I'm just like you because uh, I that's where I hide, not in my basement, but at, at, at my house. I avoid social media and the internet pretty much altogether. Uh, <laughs> that's why you don't have internet. I can't think. imagine why. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, well, I said if I ever... Ameri- there's an election coming, right? In, in the Today, US, so- yeah. Oh, today, yeah, oh, man, I would be putting mm-hmm. cement walls around my house. Uh, no, <laughs> but dude, they, there's a there's new thing, and Erica, are you getting them? They're texting us now. I'm getting a million no. text messages a day from political candidates from both sides. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Seriously? I don't yeah, you don't get no, any. No, I don't get text messages. You know what I do get, Mom? Since you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> is that is Cantor. emails from all of the 
representatives or whoever, all of the politicians that she signs up to follow, somehow all of those emails end up coming to me as well, uh-huh. like addressed to my mom and everything, but it's my email address. So I don't get any text messages, but I do get unsolicited emails in, di- indirectly through my mother. Yeah. <laughs> I Within the last three days, must have got 200 text messages from political candidates. Jeez. I don't know how they got my phone number. Oh, man. Yeah, someone, someone put you on a list somewhere. You know, you, we've heard of like mm-hmm. foreign interference with elections. Erica yeah. got family interference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Bob, somehow they got your phone number. So you're done. It's just subtle. Right. Yeah. It's probably my dad gave them the phone number. Sure. Just text yeah. him anytime. He won't answer a phone call, but you can text him. Bob would love <laughs> to hear about what you got to say. He talks to people for his job. You can oh, imagine gosh, it. Yes. It's like my, my mom, whenever anything to do with podcasts is in the news or anything, I'm getting a call. Like, hey, there's, yeah. this, uh, there's a new podcast coming out. Yeah. Yeah, yep. My yeah. mom. Uh, do you talk- know them? Do you yeah. know that other podcaster? <laughs> I'd be interested. Um, yeah. My mom, her thing is like, she doesn't text often, but every time she calls, if I don't answer, she leaves me a voicemail. And I don't, I check my voicemails once a month. When I check my voicemails, like you have 18 voicemail. Just Each one is my all. mom. Yeah. You know, hi, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Not important. Call me. And I need to, I tell her every time, like, mom, I see your number on my phone. I'm going to call you. I don't listen. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Drives oh, me nuts. I have to tell my dad the same. My seven- He's always like, your, vo- your voicemail box is full again. I'm like, yeah, it's because you. Yeah. <laughs> it's because <Right>. of you. <laughs> my 17 year old son. <laughs> And I swear to God, he does it because like kids, right? They're, they're like they're all about the texting and everything else. Uh-huh. He fucking calls me every time. <laughs> Any time he has a quick question, he'll call, and every time I'm like, "What? How are you about to mess my day up today? What is it you need?" <laughs> like, <laughs> a loving dad here. I know. Oh, I'm the worst. I don't know why they like me. I'm awful to all my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Whatever it is, I'll just answer. Whatever it is, the answer is no because you called me instead of texting me. Yeah, it's the 2022 (laughs) version of this. Could have been an email. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Could have been a text messages. Yeah, you're not (laughs) selling something, trying to steal something, or just a complete weirdo. Don't call anybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How old are your kids, Jordan? I have my oldest just turned ten. My youngest is four. Oh, I nice. So you you got a you got a couple years left of enjoying parenthood. Uh, so far, they're, they're angels still. Even my ten year old, he always tells me like, "I'm never going to be like a teenager, Dad. I'll always love you." And yeah. I'm like, my right my on. youngest is eleven, and I can tell you, he's a he's lying to you. Oh, uh, no, don't say this because <laughs> I have a twenty two year old today. Happy birthday, Jackson! Wow, good uh, twenty two year old, Aww, a seventeen year old, and a sixteen year old. We're both about to be uh, seventeen and eighteen. Um, and so, and my 11 year old is like, no dad, I'll never be like, I'm like, yeah, that's what the other three said. And they're, they're killing me. They're oh, killing no. me slowly every day. I can't even imagine it. Mine are so <laughs> sweet and caring and empathetic. They'll never change. They're going to be the exception to every rule. Yeah. I hope you're right. And, and I hope, crossed. I hope that happens with my, my youngest yeah. is sixth grade. He's 11 years old. He still come to, he gives me a kiss on the cheek at night every night. And oh. I tell him like, stop, you're too old for that. Stop doing that. Uh, (laughs) wow (laughs) listen i've seen what happens when they become teenagers i'm trying to protect them i'm gonna listen you have a friend over here and you come kiss your dad good night you're beat up you'll get beat monday morning at school dunzo (laughs) i think i think this is why all of your teenagers it's possible because they have my personality all all of them have my personality uh you need it johnny cash has the song a boy named sue yeah, yeah. That's yep. you should have named all the boys Sue. That way, you know, they toughen would, them up. That will toughen them up because people will bully them regardless. And <laughs> yeah. that's that song is about like a guy who he doesn't raise his kid, but 
the one thing he does for his kid is he names the kid Sue before he leaves yeah. his life, knowing that this will make him a man. Yeah. Then, he, <laughs> then as, an, as an adult, he finally <laughs> confronts his dad about never being around. And he's like, I named you Sue. That was all you needed to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> he had to fight for his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great reference, great yeah, reference. American reference, by the no. way. You don't have any good, you know. Uh, speaking of bands, uh, you were you were in a band, a band yeah. called Airport. Ooh, is done your research, yeah. I have not. Erica did. Okay. <laughs> was, it's funny That's the nice. way that my podcast that really got started as a result of being in a band. It was just like it wasn't like anything big. It was just like a local rock band. But we recorded a lot, did an album, but we also did a lot of demos. So I had all the mics and all the stuff that I needed. And when the time came that I was like, I'm going to make a podcast. I was like, I should just bring out all my old guitar gear. And, you know, with without the guitars, I have everything else that I need. And yeah, that's how I got started. So the one impact that the band has had on my podcast is that's how I knew how to do all this stuff. And were you, were you the lead guitarist? Is that what you were yeah, in position? Yeah, I played lead guitar and... The singer, his name is Aaron. He, him, and I wrote the songs. He sang. I played lead guitar. And actually, the, it connects to the podcast because Aaron, the singer of Airport, fifteen twenty years ago, is now the co-host of a series that I do on my show that we call Keep Canada Weird. Where each week, Aaron and I, my former bandmate, uh, we find like kind of a collection of weird Canadian news stories from the past week. So every week it's kind of highlighting the weirdest stuff that has happened. Oh, nice. For example, uh, this week we, with it being just after Halloween, we took, um, it happens every year, but we found all the stories, uh, either the good or bad of 2022's trick-or-treating news stories. So we found mm-hmm. the story of a woman who was uh, actually a, a, a couple, a 55 and 65-year-old man and woman who were arrested for uh, giving out um, uh, THC-laced nerds candy we found the story of a uh, young child who found a gold or a diamond and gold ring in her candy and she ended up finding the owner who must have lost it yeah i did see that one that was and a then, good story uh, one case of one. Uh, a presumed ca- uh, finding of fentanyl in a can in a bag of candy there was a couple like brown chunks Ooh. and they believe it to be fentanyl but they're still looking into what that is oh and <laughs> the other story we covered this week is a uh, a woman um on the, I think in central Canada, she had a business making jewelry and she used to, uh, she, her jewelry is starts with clay. So she takes clay and, you know, makes her stuff and polishes it and all that. She started getting requests to um, put ashes in so someone could, you know, um, in memory of a loved one who's mm-hmm. been cremated. But the business expanded. And what she does now is uh, she named the business Jizzy Jewelry and people can send in what she calls sentimental fluids. So that could be breast milk. Semen, vaginal fluids, uh, umbilical cord remains that I don't know how she does it, but somehow turns it into huh. a powder that she includes in jewelry. And I see Bob's, yeah, 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 yeah. Bob's got his mouth open, but there is a demand for that sort of thing. Well, well <laughs> we both she went do. With, with, I, 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 I didn't hear the second word. You lost me a jizzy. jizzy. Yeah, the name. The, the other was vaginal. The name fruit, is the but, best. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And it's when you think of the business, it sounds wild. But uh, you know, we say the chicken or the egg. What came first? What came first was the demand. People were asking her to do this, yeah. and I think uh, my co-host Aaron and I were trying to speculate on why the people would want this. And apparently, it has to do with you know some people have a thing with um, fertility and reproduction mm-hmm. and whatnot, and somehow 
whatever's happening in their lives leads them to be like, I want like semen or whatever put into this ring, then I'll wear it. Whatever. You know what? <laughs> the placenta, the umbilical cord, the ashes, like I I get it. You lost they lost yeah. me at, I can, at yeah. uh mm-hmm. the sexual fluids. Like I I don't quite like that was some yeah. of my what is like that was some of my best work. I want to make sure I hang on to <laughs> hang on a, that one. There's a guy in Canada. You, you, I'm sure you would never have heard of this guy. His name is Tonetta. That's the the name he uses. He's this. He's now 70 ish years old, and he's this man that for the last 40 years he's been recording and releasing music and music videos through a variety of means, and he's kind of gained a name for himself because his music is highly, highly sexualized. Like, uh, imagine a song that is specifically about, you know, a certain form of sex, and he will sing on and on about it. But not only is he singing about it, he'll make a video of him dancing and lip-syncing it. And he's usually dressed in character as Tanetta, which is a sort of like a gender fluid kind of creation he has. But this Tanetta, this man, uh, his real name's Tony, lives in Toronto. And when he started back in, I think, like the early 80s, he was just downtown Toronto passing out tapes, like, listen to my music, listen to my music. Mm -hmm. Um, He actually believed he was the reincarnation of John Lennon and a lot of his music's about that. But it started giving out tapes. When that wasn't picking up enough or or making it happen enough, what he started to do is... um, record these pseudo music videos and he would go to like a blockbuster and rent a VHS tape of a movie, a popular movie. And he'd overdub at like the climax of the movie with his music video. And he would end by telling people where they could find more music of his. Uh, he was doing that for a while. Then he found YouTube and you can find him on YouTube and you may have seen his videos. Cause I think they talked about him on Joe Rogan at one point and he was on, uh, I don't know, some major American TV show that was sort of making fun of how sexualized mm-hmm. his stuff is. But the reason I bring him up is one of the things Tanetta did to crowdfund is he was mixing semen and gelatin and making these little like figures and selling them on Facebook. Oh, so, well, if you're in you the right, I think, you, you know, I mean, you that, I, well, he was selling that's for trick or treating. That's a good trick or treating <laughs> treat. Yeah. Nail, Nail clipping. Oh. You know, it's funny like the, the, the nerds mm-hmm. with THC, cause I was talking about that with my wife when, first of all, do you, you know, when I was a kid, it was like a thing when we would bring our, we weren't allowed to eat any candy until our parents inspected the candy mm-hmm. to make sure that there was nothing wrong with the candy. And like the first time when my older kids were like trick or treating and I'm like, oh, well, you got to check your candy before you eat it. Cause that's what you do. And then I was looking like, the hell were they? I don't know. What am I looking for? I don't, it all looks like candy to me. Like, yeah. what, like somebody's going to have like a razor blade hanging yeah. out of the candy. Like I. There's just yeah. going to be yeah. a big pot we, leaf on it, right? For all of those, we were kids, all that free Bob, weed those people want to give out. Um, a, a lot of the candy you get, again, it'd be like a candied apple or like a baked good that somebody made. So there was a bit mm-hmm. of a different risk, but then it slowly turned to prepackaged things like, you know, a bag of chips or a candy that's wrapped and that sort of thing. So it's a bit different. And I think parents have betrayed our trust by stealing <laughs> our candies at night. So if I yeah. say to my kid, I got to check your ch- candy, he'd be like, like hell, you're touching this stuff, dad. Like, get yeah. out of here. I he for sure stole <laughs> all the Reese's peanut butter cups out of my youngest candy bag. But hopefully you didn't do it under the guise of, I just need to check this out, son. No, I just took it. And then when he said, who stole my candy? I said, probably your brother. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been like, well, who stole my rent, son? Pay yeah. up. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> it didn't. It didn't help matters that no. I took all the empty wrappers and threw them on his brother's floor. So <laughs> that's amazing. And set up a video camera in our home. <laughs> yeah. with, with hours of home video. Yeah. Yeah. Fight. Uh, so the 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 weird thing though, what you call this? What you call your weird series? We call it Keep Canada Weird, and that the, the reason I got into that it was my the leader, the singer in the band, and I. This is like kind of our way to continue to be creative together, and it's yeah. it's kind of a. That's a popular series that I do, and I think it's because it's it's light and funny. Where a lot of the other stuff I do is dark and heavy. Keep Canada Weird yeah. is a different kind of style of nighttime. Now, is that on the is that on the nighttime feed? So if somebody subscribed to nighttime, they'll get that as well. Yeah, I do. The way I set up my show, like a lot of podcasts, like yours, will do a season, and each season is of a different topic. I have yeah. these kind of ongoing series that are released weekly. So if you subscribe to nighttime once a week, there's Keep Canada Weird and episode and it, it'll be titled as such then i do often this thing called ufos above canada where it's just different stories related to ufos set in canada that's maybe every second or third week i have a series uh-huh. called missing in canada which as the name implies is a missing persons cases and then my probably my most popular series at this point is is called the nova scotia mass casualty which is a ongoing weekly series that investigates what ended up being Canada's worst mass shooting. It happened in Nova Scotia in 2020. And since it's happened, um, I've been doing a weekly episode that's reviewing and discussing developments and updates related to the story. And much like situations you've probably found yourself in, my show has seemed to have found itself in the story a lot, where listeners of the show have come forward with Mm-hmm. information that has helped kind of change and shape the you know the story that's unfolding around that event yeah and that's a perfect transition into our our case of the day is the nova scotia mass shooting mm. uh, happened april 18th and 19th 2020 so just to put yourself in the in the right headspace that's like right in the peak of the pandemic at least in the states here it was like march of 2020 is when everything just got shut down yeah that w- yep we were a couple weeks after you and but that's the perfect kind of context to put that story in is the killings happened during a 13-hour period that spanned the 18th to 19th of april of 2020 and this is just after businesses began to close down and our borders start to shut down and mm-hmm. when I when we talk about the story and I tell you some of the stuff that happened, people listening, especially outside of Canada, will be shocked that this happened in Canada and people don't know about it. And one of the reasons that so few people know about this is the international, even the national news, weren't able to come to Canada, uh, weren't able to come into Nova Scotia to cover it. So as mm-hmm. this was all unfolding, it was really local news coverage of a what should have been an international event. And which still to this day should be an international event because it's the yeah. story is continuing to unfold and it has turned into um, it, it's looking like it's going to change the way law enforcement works in Nova Scotia or Canada for that matter, because it's um, a, there's been a lot of criticism away about the way the police have handled it, both at the time of the killings but especially mm-hmm. so in the weeks, months, and years after, uh, the mm-hmm. the police seem uh, to be doing a much better job um, deflecting blame from themselves than they did stopping a killer dressed as a police officer, driving a fake police car, killing people for 13 hours. Uh, didn't do a great job back then. Yeah. So tell us about the case. It's a, Like you said, it's a 13-hour period, April 18th, 19th of 2020. 
guy yeah. named Gabriel Wortman goes on this crime. He starts off by assaulting his partner, and then he goes on for there for the next 13 hours. Yeah, and, and almost every part of this case is debated about what exactly happened. Because, um, yeah, of course, he's not alive to tell the story, and you'll hear why as we get going. But in short, this guy, Gabriel Wortman, is a 50-ish-year-old denturist. So his he made dentures for people. That was his occupation. Mm-hmm. And he had a, a well-known denture clinic in Dartmouth, which is a city in Canada. It's the business that he ran. It was um, almost like, like everyone knew it because it's right downtown and it had a big fake smile on the side of it. So a lot of people knew his business and knew him as a, you know, a denture maker. But mm-hmm. anyway, the, the clinic was shut down as a result of the pandemic starting and Gabriel Wartman was spending more time in an area outside of the city called Portapique. A lot of people will know this story just as the Portapique shootings. I'm a lifelong resident of Nova Scotia. I had never heard of Portapique until okay. this had happened. It's basically a couple streets in the middle of nowhere, Nova Scotia is how I describe it. Very rural. I'd call it like cottage country. When you go out there, there's not street lights. There's not sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the roads aren't aren't even paved. And Half of the homes there, roughly, are occupied only seasonally. So there's some people mm-hmm. live there year-round, but a lot of people have summer mm-hmm. homes there. Mm-hmm. But Gabriel Wartman was spending his time out in Portapique. And what a lot of people didn't know is that in his garage, in his summer home, cottage-type thing, he had he had bought and had been spending time restoring a um, a police car that was no longer used uh, so what what happens like in when the police uh, are no longer using cars they'll, they'll sell them off like they strip mm-hmm. all the signage and lighting and equipment mm-hmm. and they just sell them off he had bought a few of them and he was using them for a variety of things but one in particular he was restoring to the point that it was in uh, you couldn't discern between it and a real police car he had all the stickers on it the lights on top the whole nine yards. He also had police uniforms and various police equipment. Uh, people who knew him knew he had this stuff. He had given multiple people different stories about what he what he had it for. Some some he said he was just a collector of police memorabilia. Some people told he told he was using it for parades, and he even told a police officer that. He told other people that he was going to outfit it as a sort of monument for some police officers who were killed in the province of New Brunswick a couple of years prior to all this happening. So people knew about it, but they all had different stories uh, from mm-hmm. him as to why he had it. But one thing that has come to light since all of this happened, when people are going over his history, is he also had a lot of history with run-ins with uh, the criminal element, drug smuggling, firearm smuggling across the border. There was a police bulletin issued at one point uh, where an anonymous source had phoned the police to let them know that a man named Gabriel Wartman, who's a denturist, uh, had told them he planned to kill police, a police officer at some point, and he travels with many guns. Um, so that, anyway, there's the background of this guy is complicated. But what ends up happening on the evening of April 18th, the, the official version, and I'll say official meaning this is the one that most people tell, is Gabriel Wartman and his common-law partner or common-law wife or whatever you want to say, they were drinking 
they were having a Zoom or some kind of online call with a couple people from the United States. Uh, their anniversary was coming up, Gabriel and his partner, and they talked about having some kind of event to commemorate it. Not a wedding, but we're going to do something special to commemorate our whatever it is, 20th anniversary. And the, the story that goes around is one of the people on the phone call said, don't do it. Like, that's crazy. Don't do it. And for whatever reason, that was enough, allegedly, to set him off. And what Gabriel did was um, his, his common law partner had, fled, had left. She was upset over this comment. Gabriel must have ends, ends his call at some point. He goes back to the cottage where she was, pulls her out of the bed, saying things like, it's done. It's all over. At this time, he's dressed as a cop. Mm-hmm. He drags her back towards the garage where he has the car parked, and he puts her in the back seat of it. She sees him get a gun from a closet, I believe. She's locked in the back seat of the car, of the cop car, fully outfitted cop car. And she sees him leave to go to a part of the building where he had more guns. Um, she manages to get out of the car and escape. Okay, so she's... Uh, According to her, she climbs out of the window and takes off and hides in the woods. And I'm leaving out huge parts of the contested facts or whatever about her and how this goes on. But what we do know that happens is Gabriel gets back to the car with a ton of gasoline and a ton of high power, a bunch of high powered weapons. And he begins a killing spree in his small community of Portapic, in essence, going house to house dressed as a cop, driving this cop car and shooting his neighbors, setting their houses on fire. A series of phone calls, like 911 calls, go to police throughout the night, mainly reporting gunfire or or the, the actual fires in the homes. The RCMP, which is our national police force, they believe that they have the area contained and they believe he's in there. And according to them, throughout the night, they suspect he killed himself. They're trying mm-hmm. to account for his vehicles. Uh, his properties were burned. Actually, one of the things his common law partner before she fled, she saw him pouring gasoline all over his home and garage and other vehicles. So that when they do the account of the vehicles that that they see burned in his property, they think they have them all accounted for. So they think the vehicle he put her in, you know, is burned and everything's burned and he's probably dead here. It isn't until the next morning that the killing starts again. There begins to be reports early in the morning of gunfire, uh, people being seen, uh, people being found dead on the side of the road. One neighbor calls, uh, calls and says they, they heard a gun. They heard a gunshot. They looked outside and they see their neighbor dead on the road and they saw a cop car speeding off. Eventually, uh, after they have 22 people killed, including a pregnant, a pregnant woman, one of the 22 is also a police officer who is responding Gabriel Wartman is driving a stolen car, one that he stole from one of his victims. He shed his police uniform, lit his cop car on fire, and is driving the vehicle of one of his victims. Turns out the vehicle did not have any gas in it. So he pulls into a gas station, and according to the police, a stroke of luck, the cops pull in the lot next to him, notice him. When they go to confront him, he pulls a gun, and they shoot him a bunch of times and kill him mm-hmm. that's how it how it ends but almost every part of this that i've said has three versions of what actually happened and 
what what has come now is the victims of or the families of the victims of this and the survivors have been pushing for answers and accountability and transparency and all this uh, to the point that we now have a public inquiry that's ongoing and basically an open or what should be an open, transparent investigation into what led to this and what actually happened. But that inquiry is being highly criticized for being um, pro-police and uh, possibly to the point that Police officers are uh, in in our RCMP are helping guide the investigation into what can be uncovered because really every new piece of information just looks worse and worse for the police and our government. Right. Um, I could go it's, on forever about about that side of things, but in essence, mm-hmm. it's uh, we've had twenty two murders, one a pregnant woman, and actually just last week, sadly, one of the survivors uh, who appeared on my show only two weeks ago, uh, we learned that he died by suicide. After coming on my show, pleading for support, uh, and going on a mainstream media outlet, discussing how he's falling through the cracks of our mental health system, he was actually still living in the area where his friends and neighbors were murdered and he was looking for someone to uh some government institute or someone to help him get out of there um he actually uh he left me a voicemail only three days before i learned that he killed himself um where he was asking me on the voicemail if i knew of anyone who could help him crowdfund to get money to move out of there and i actually didn't listen to the voicemail until the day that i was actually brought up my phone to try to find his number I had heard he killed himself and I was looking uh, trying to get his number to see if I could call him and hoping it was a mistake and that was when I saw I had the mi- voicemail and a missed call from mm-hmm. him and heard that but it's 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 dark but wow. in here in Canada this is the biggest story you're not very far away have you ever heard of any of this happening mm-hmm. never no yeah. nope that's when I was doing the research for this I was astonished they said that you could only find a couple I of articles and there wasn't much out there about this yeah well even yeah even finding and like you said like finding accurate information like there were definitely i found several articles where i kind of started reading them and, and then just closed the window because they didn't seem like they had their their stories very straight so it was kind of confusing to like yeah pick out what was true since yeah just like to give a sense of like how things. the story has changed over time uh what the information the public got initially mainly came from a series of press conferences that our RCMP, which is our police force, gave in the days after uh, mm-hmm. after the killings. And the version of the story that they had is that, or the version of the story that they told was that they didn't know he was dressed as a cop or driving a cop car until the next morning when his common law partner came out of hiding. And the house that she came out of, when she came out of the woods from hiding, she, the house she went to was the house of the man that I just described that had took his own life two weeks ago. She came out of hiding and went to his place. Mm. And the, from there, they called 911 and the police got her. That was the next morning of the 19th. In the early press conferences, the police say, we didn't know he was dressed as a cop or driving a cop car until she came out of the woods the next morning. But what ended up happening is um, several months later, um, listeners of my show and people uh, on the fringe of associated with the work that my listeners are doing they uh, an insider leaked 911 recordings um, of the earliest reports. And the first call that was leaked 
took place, I think, 10.01 p.m. the night before, Mm -hmm. just like minutes after the shooting started. Mm -hmm. And what you hear is a woman say, um, you know, my husband was just shot on the back step. It's my neighbor, Gabriel. He's driving a cop car. He's not a cop. He's a denturist. He just shot my husband. Eventually, she gets killed on the phone call. Then there's a call from, I don't know, 15 minutes later, which is her kids who survived and ran to the neighbor's house. They say the same thing. It's this guy, Gabriel, lives across the street. He lit his house on fire, driving a cop car. And then about the kids fortunately survived this. Um, Then I guess maybe 15-ish minutes after that, the third phone call is this guy who's calling to report fires. And he's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, on my street, I see a house on fire here. I don't know if anyone called it in. And they're talking to him like, where are you? What street? What's the address? And then you hear him say like, oh, weird. Like there's another house down the street on fire. And he's in his car calling. And you can hear him being like, whoa, like something's up. And then he's like, the cops are already here. There's a cop car out front. And the girl on the phone, the number one operator is like, you know, what's the address? Are you sure? Like, where is this? And he's saying it's, you know, it's this guy, Gabriel. So he's a denturist, whatever. There's a cop here now. And then you hear him say, oh, the cop's coming over to my car. He's going to talk to me. And then you hear him say like, hey, like you can, the guy in the car is probably addressing the cop as you would. And then you just hear like, bam, you hear screaming like he shot me. It's my neighbor, Gabriel. He's dressed as a cop. He shot me. Mm-hmm. And all that happens within like 30 minutes, despite the police for months, if not even a year saying we didn't know until the next morning. And wow. when that came out, people immediately mm-hmm. like, what are you hiding? Like, what is going on? And a big part of the criticism has been, when this shooting was going on, we now know that the police know he was dressed as a cop, driving a cop car. The way the police chose to communicate with people in very rural Nova Scotia that this is, that this was going on and that they were responding to multiple fires and shootings is they made a tweet from their official account. Despite in Nova Scotia, we have this thing called the alert ready system, which is like sends a notice to your phone. Like you've probably yeah. had that when there's a missing kid. So yeah. the the big criticism is like, mm-hmm. why didn't you use that alert ready system and let people know rather than tweeting? And what it's beginning to look like is that the police were afraid to let people know he was dressed as a cop for fear that that may make people like attack a cop as they're trying to investigate it. That's kind of what seems to be the, the answer they're settling on. But it's, uh, oh, it, it, it is just a mess. And it's the kind of story, like as I told you, I've been doing a weekly episode about this since 2020. In every week, it never fails that there is new, like game-changing information and details. Most, most recently, I think, to, to set the scene for how dirty and awful this is getting, is um, what has come out and what's been released is uh, communications between the head of our police force and the government minister who's in charge of firearm legislation, basically, uh, public safety. Um, Canada was just about to release or just about to try to get uh, new laws on the books that would limit what guns are legal legal or whatever, like new mm-hmm. firearm re- legislation. But mm-hmm. just after the shooting happened, there was this sort of backdoor agreement between the government and the police to, at a press release, release details of the firearms so that it could help the government in getting these laws in the book. Uh, one of the lower-level police officers didn't think it was a good idea to jeopardize the investigation uh, and give the information about the guns, so they decided not to. And what has leaked is a phone call between like 
the top RCMP officer and their underlings where she is raging mad that she let the public safety minister down by not releasing the details of the guns. And she says things like, do you know what is going on in Canada with gun laws? Like we're, there's new legislation. This would help us. Um, but needless to say, all the guns that he had were illegal brought in from the United States. So that those gun laws wouldn't have changed anything, but mm-hmm. only days after 22 people and a pregnant woman were killed, they're politicizing it basically right. with blood on their feet, mm-hmm. trying to get these new laws passed. Um, but That's it's a terrible. nightmare. Well, to get all of the details, as you said, you've been for over two years now, you've been doing weekly episodes on this where there's tons of of great inside interviews. You can get the full story. His name is Jordan Bonaparte, and the podcast is called Nighttime. Check it out. I'm sure it could be your next big true crime binge. And I almost forgot to say, uh, Mrs. Cantor, how you doing? (laughs) I don't get that reference. That's for Eric's. That's Sorry, for mom. Erica's mom. She's okay, that's yeah. my mother. <laughs> okay, she's a, right. she's an avid listener. Oh, with that, <laughs> you've raised a lovely daughter. Yeah. She's I always quick to respond. Oh. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was great to meet you uh, virtually, at least, and hopefully someday we can meet in person. Come to Canada, Bob. We'd love to have you. Bring oh, Erica. I'll, Bring Miss Cantor. Oh, I'd love to. You know, I, you know, I'm a hunter. I bet there's, I bet there's moose and all kinds of cool stuff up there. Love it here. I got deer on my front lawn eating my tulips year round. Oh. You, you don't need a gun. You go out and grab them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jordan. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Kelly Barron's Brink. Our production manager and co-host is Erica Cantor. Music and show artwork was created by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com and episode artwork is created by John Hayes. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is truecrimebinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. Make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. And thank you so much for listening. And make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.